Amen. I cannot think of a better way to move into talking about God's plan for family than the worship service we have just enjoyed so far together. I would invite you to take your copy of the Lord's Word and turn to Acts 17. Acts 17, that's the New Testament. Verse 24 through 26, Acts 17. If you'll turn to the the last third of your Bible, you'll probably hit it. Hit Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You can go a little further and you'll catch it. Acts 17, verses 24 through 26. As we begin today, an eight-part series on the family. An eight-part series on the family. We will have a message on the family for every Sunday in February and every Sunday in March. And thank you all for being here and being a part of the beginning of this. And I would invite you to come back each week as we look at the Word of God together to see what the Lord has to say about this sacred thing that we enjoy called family. Uh, Before we get into the message, I want to kind of give a few um, explanations here. In your worship guide, you normally have notes where you can take in your worship guide. This week, um, it's on a full page, and that was to accommodate the illustration on the background. But on the back side of this, you will find a family devotion. A family devotion. So, this is one devotion for you to do as an individual or to sit down with your husband or wife or parent, whatever it is, child. And so, between now and next week, if if you have opportunity, it builds a little bit. It's very brief. It's very short. It has a little activity on it. It's for this week. And then I'm going to give you five devotions or six devotions, just one, just one, because families are busy and I understand that. But if you would like to take advantage of that, that's what that is there for. And then each week, they won't all be a full page like this. The future ones, most all of them will be half page, uh, and then the devotion will be on the back. So you will be getting one of these each week, which will have the message on the front for Sunday, and then on the back, there will be a family devotion you can do or a devotion about the family because it may just be you at home and uh, we want God to meet with you as well. You know, when you talk about the family, and I was actually talked about this subject with a few people this week, is that when you start a message series on the family, immediately you think, well, this is not for me, potentially, right? For some of us, you know, we our family's in heaven, or for some of us, we don't have immediate family. Perhaps we're not married, or maybe we don't have children. And immediately the temptation is to say, well, look, this is, this is not for me. Uh, so I've tried to take that into account because one of the things that I hear a lot from our single adults here, whether it be older singles, younger singles, somewhere in the middle, and I'll let you define where those categories change. But um, what I hear a lot from them is, Pastor Matt, it seems like that church almost is for the family and that there's just not as much for us that kind of feel like a, a fifth wheel, so to speak, because church is built around the family. So I want to be sensitive to that. Um, I want to be sensitive to that. So I'm going to try to, throughout this message, in fact, one of the messages will be specifically on living life as a single person. 
So for today, we want to talk about the family tree. Next week, we're going to talk about marriage. So next week is actually going to be a two-part. The first is when oneness becomes two-ness. Next week, uh, excuse me, I said that backwards. <laughs> Let's not do that. When two-ness becomes oneness, <laughs> that's actually week number four. That's the title of week number four. <laughs> but but we don't, we're not going to start there. We're not going to start there. God forbid any of us get there, right? But when two-ness becomes oneness, and it's the, the marriage or the spouse edition, and then week three is when two-ness becomes oneness, parents and in-laws edition, and then week number four is going to be when oneness becomes two-ness. And so you can kind of see where we're going. So these first, this first week is not about marriage, but these first four weeks, three of them is going to be about marriage. So that will be a little bit of an idea of where we're going, so what you can expect. Um, one of the things that I appreciate so much about what took place in our worship service this morning is you've heard me say this statement before, and I heard this for the first time. Um, actually, I read it initially in a book called In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. I read that book by Mark Batterson. He's a passenger, pastor in Washington, D.C., and he still pastors there. But In 2008, I read this statement. He said, I say this to our church people all the time. Don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right with God. And you've heard me say that before. Don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right with God. I want to be very clear what I'm not going to do this study. Is I am not setting my family on a pedestal and saying, listen, if you all could just be more like my family, then you know what? You'll get it right. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe my, I'm the most blessed person that I've ever heard of. However, my family has shortcomings and blemishes and problems just like yours. And I face the temptation, just like many of you here, to throw up the hand sometime and just say, well, good grief. Like, what are we even doing? Like, when things sometimes feel like they're falling apart. I had a dream not too long ago, and it, it, I'm like everybody out there. How many of you have ever had a dream, and it seemed like later on, at least some of it came to pass? You ever had that? I see a lot of hands throughout the room. I don't, hey, look, some dreams are from God, some dreams are not, I don't know. There's a couple that have been very vivid to me and seem like they did come to pass. So that is, you say, oh, how comforting. No, it scared me to death. Because what happens when you have a dream like the one I'm about to describe? I had this dream where I was, there was these five children wearing masks. And they all had baseball bats and they were beating me. And I was in, in the floor and I was like, stop, stop. And they wouldn't stop. <laughs> and I told Andrea, I said, I think I had a dream about our children. <laughs> because that's what I feel like sometimes. It's just like, uh, how do you survive? So it was one particular day where it seems like for me personally, when my children make mistakes, look, they're growing, they're kids, and they're going to make mistakes. But I struggle with it as a parent because I have deceived myself into thinking if I were a better parent, they wouldn't, which is foolish. Because we know kids are going to make mistakes. But it's nonetheless how I feel. And it was one day when I was leaving 
home and I was coming into work and I was going to take the two youngest ones to Scarlet Donuts because that's our ritual. And of course the train stopped me. And I'm sitting there at the train and I'm thinking, man, I'm thinking about everything that I'm frustrated with and everything that's wrong with my family and I am just boiling at this point. And my daughter Lucy in the back seat says, hey dad, can we listen to the song Awesome God? And I said, well, yeah. So I turn it on. I take my phone. I turn on the song Awesome God that she's learned here in children's choirs. I don't think they don't listen. That's one reason right there that I'm so grateful my children are involved here. And as the old song, you know, our God is an awesome God, it just repeats itself over and over again. And what just showered me in the moment, and I began to cry, and I'm trying to hide it from her, is that I was overwhelmed that despite the frustration I had with my family that's broken like everybody else's, that regardless of what is going on with my family, I can worship what is right for God. And it just overwhelmed me that no matter where I was with my family, with my kids, I am right in the center of His hand. And He is worthy of worship and the temptation is we look at our family and think, oh, what a mess. This is so frustrating. What's going on? But if you'll look at Jesus right there, him, he is worthy of celebration on every day, no matter how dysfunctional your family is in the moment. So I want to encourage you as we go through this series, don't let what's wrong with your family keep you from worshiping and celebrating what is right with God and what is right with Jesus. And you have a reason and a place at the table of worship every day because of Him. Remember, this is the Gospel. We don't get to His table because we're great people and have a great family. We get to His table because He's welcomed us into His family and we're there because of Him. So yes, I want my family to be making good choices. Yes, I want them to be exercising good wisdom. Yes, I want them to be doing what they're supposed to. But you know what? Even on days that they're not, I have something. More importantly, I have someone I can celebrate on the worst of days that is worthy of my worship. And it was so good and healing for me waiting on that train and then driving up to the donut shop to sing with my children that our God truly is awesome. Today I want to talk to you though about the most fundamental relationship there is. And it comes down to your relationship with the root. As we talk about family, we want to talk about the first family relationship in the Bible. And this morning's message is titled The Family Tree. I don't have time to break down exactly what's happening in Acts 17 here, but Paul is having a discussion in the city of Athens. And this is Greece, Athens, ancient Greece, Athens. And he's telling them, these people who do not know about God, do not know about Jesus, and he's just telling a little bit about who God is. And he picks up in verse number 24. And again, I don't have time to explain the whole story here, but we're going to just take what Paul said, and I want you to hear it. He says in verse 24, telling these people about God, the God who made the world and everything in it, 
being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Now listen to this. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Actually, I want to read verse 27 too. I thought that was listed. That's my mistake. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him, yet He is actually not far from each one of us. When we look at this story, when Paul is telling these people about God, he is describing them and describing God as the Father of humanity. If you were to skip down into verse 29, it says, being God's offspring. Paul is taking an opportunity to speak to these people of Athens and is trying to describe the relationship that we have as people with God in heaven. And the illustration that he uses is not one of marriage, is not one of friendship, but it is an illustration of family as a parent relates to a child. When we look at the family tree, Paul talks about the family tree and he tells all these people, if you trace it all the way back, we go back to one man, to one papa that we all come from. And then that man came from God Himself. You see, the root of human relationships is a parental one. The root of human relationships is a parental one. I don't know if you've ever noticed in the genealogy of Jesus found in Luke 3, 34 through 38. I'll read these to you. Describing the family tree of Jesus, it says, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Naor, the son of Serug, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam. What's the next one? The son of God. Have you noticed that before? Revelation 22.16 says this, Jesus says, I have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The Scripture tells us that if you were to back up the family tree, we know how family trees work, right? Depending on which way you're working, they branch out. If you're going back, they branch out. Or if you started way back, and then went forward, they branch out. On the back of your outline, you can work out your own family tree this week with your children. That might be fun for you. 
But at the very bottom, Paul says this, at the very bottom of this tree, there is a root. And that root is one man. And the root which holds that one man is God Himself. You see, the greatest commandment that we know, if I were to ask you, what is the greatest commandment in the Scripture? Matthew 22.37, it deals with our relationship with God. Listen to Matthew 22.37, And He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Now you know the second one, and we're going to talk about the second one in a few minutes. But before any of the commandments, it comes down to our relationship with the root. That at the root of this family tree, of which we are all a part of, that holds all of us there, there's a daddy, and it's God. This is what the Bible teaches us. The root of human relationship is a parental one, and the parent is God. Also, another thing that we know about family trees is this, is that a family tree branch extends two ways. I already talked to you, if you wanted to look on the back at that illustration of the family tree, you could, starting here at the bottom with you, you can go up and it branches out. But if you were to turn it upside down and change and put your grandparents up here and put the children down here, they work both ways. We understand that family trees work both ways. And so a family tree branch extends two ways. So when talking about the relationship that we have with God and comparing it to a parent-child relationship, we know that parents and children are intrinsically connected to each other. What is it, according to the Bible, that parents do for children? Well, first, in talking about parents and what they do for children, I'm going to walk you through a couple of episodes in Genesis chapter 2 after God made man, because God is the first parent, the only perfect one, and by the way, had a perfect house with a perfect place with perfect toys, and his kid still messed up. So rest easy. So parents provide for children. What did God provide for His first children? Well, first is life. Parents provide for their children life. For the children in this room, listen to me. You got your life from mom and dad. If mom and dad were not a thing, you would not be a thing. We take that from originally how the first parent gave life to humanity, that God breathed into Adam the breath of life. We looked at this a lot in our soul series, but look in Genesis 2.7. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. So God gave the first man life. The child receives life from the parent. Solomon talks about this in Proverbs 23.22. He says, listen to your Father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. The Scripture teaches us that parents give 
life to their children. So God has given life to humanity. Not only did God provide life for Adam, God provided a home for Adam too. This is another thing that parents do with their kids. Not only do we give them life, we provide them a home. In Genesis 2, 8 through 9a, it says, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. By the way, when we hear garden, we, we think like that rectangular shaped object with rows in it in our backyard or somewhere in the back pasture. But when the ancient people heard garden, they heard something more attuned to an uh, ornamental garden. For instance, something with walls, something with potted plants, things like that, something very organized. It would be the same kind of word used to describe the hanging gardens in Babylon. It's something that was well-ordered and groomed and kept, and God placed the man there in this special garden. Um, anyway, it says, The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there He put the man whom He had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Not only did God give humanity life, He gave humanity a home. Parents also do something else. They provide food for their children. We know this. Why do we do this? Because this is what God did for His kids. Look at the same two verses, except look at the last part there. The Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. So, a parent-child relationship is this. One that gives life. One that gives a home. One that gives provision and food. But another thing is this. Parental relationships provide loving boundaries. Loving boundaries. In fact, if you think, well, is it a good idea? Should I give my kids boundaries or should I just kind of let them grow up and just kind of figure it out on their own and fall where they fall? Well, your kids are going to fall anyway. Without boundaries, they're going to fall really hard. Because we know from the very first relationship that God, when He was raising His child in the Garden of Eden, He gave loving boundaries. Loving boundaries. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of every tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. How many of you, whether you're in your 90s or whether you're nine years old, have heard your parents say this line? After you say, well, why do I have to? And they said, because I said so. Gosh, I'm still wounded from childhood. I can hear my mother right now. Well, that doesn't make sense. Not supposed to. You do it because I said so. Now, what do we now know, for those of you who are now parents and grandparents, what was behind the because I said so? The behind the because I said so was not wanting to control your life. It was a desire to love you and protect you. And maybe in the moment, mom and dad knew you don't understand what they understand, and they're not going to take the time to tell you in this moment 
why they're saying to do this because they said so, but because of mom and dad's greater understanding, it's just easier for mom and dad to say, listen, don't do this because I said so. When you look at this story, this loving boundary, you can eat of any tree in the garden except for that one right there. And we still see this played out in our children. You buy them all the toys that they could possibly, they, they don't have enough lifetime to play with the toys that we get them, right? And yet, what do they want to play with? The kitchen knife set on the counter. Like, how, what's going on here? Boundaries are put there because of love. And parents provide loving boundaries for children not to be arbitrary just because I said so, but because it's connected with the parent knows if they do this, they're going to get hurt. This is how God parented his children. God's kids, God's first child, Adam, had boundaries. We should have boundaries for our children. But also, parents not only give loving boundaries, they give presence and joy. Presence and joy. By the way, we're going to talk about this particular story tonight. I love this story. And there's a Bob Dylan song connected to this story that I've asked Randy to sing tonight. So if you want to hear, all right, you want to hear, you want to hear Randy sing Bob Dylan, you come tonight. All right. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field by every bird and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. You catch that? God took all the animals and all the birds and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And man gave names to all the livestock and all the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. For Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Two things that I see in this story. God gave his child his presence. If God brought all the animals to him, that means God is right there. Just as we learn in Genesis 3, God was walking in the coolness of the day. That God was with his child. But not only that, that there was this joy. He gave his child a task and wanted to see his child succeed. That's another thing that we do as parents. We give presence and joy. And then also companionship companionship. Did you know that the first marriage was an arranged one? I don't know if you've ever paid attention to this, but Adam didn't exactly have a lot of choices. He'd looked at all the animals, and nothing was found suitable. So God said, well, I'm going to make you something. Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 through 22, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up with a place, closed up his place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Like this is the desire of parents, right? That if it be God's will that our parent that our children one day leave the house, that they would find a suitable companion that honors God. All these things are things that parents are committed to. Andrea and I began before Ashlyn was even born. When Ashlyn was in utero, we would pray with her at night while she was still 
in the womb with her mom, we would read her a rendition of Dr. Seuss's Baby, Oh Baby, The Places You'll Go. And then we would pray for her future life. Now you say, wow, this, y'all are such good parents. <laughs> we only did it with that one. <laughs> and then the rest of the time we were chasing kids, and we're just like, God help, amen, all of them. Thank you. Things have to change. But anyway, we've prayed for Ashlyn's mate. We've prayed for all of their mates. One day, if it's God's will, that they should be married that one day that God would do that. Here's the next thing, is that children provide for their parents. What do children do? This is very quick. Children bear the image, possess the name, and spread the glory. Let me give you those fast. Children bear the image, possess the name, and spread the glory. These three things that children do for parents. Adam bore God's image. We've learned that in previous weeks in our previous study. Adam possessed God's name. And Adam was to spread God's glory everywhere that he went. And your children do the same for you. They look like you. They take your name and they spread your influence everywhere that they go. Children provide for parents. Parents provide for children. But it brings me to this final thing, which is this. The health of your relationship with your heavenly daddy spills over into every other relationship. The reason I talked about parents and children today is this is really not a message about parents and children. It's a message about you and your daddy. Capital D, daddy. Your heavenly daddy. And what I want to submit to you as we bring this message to a close is that the health of every relationship, your parental relationship, your child relationship, your relationship with other people that you do business with and your friends, all relationships are rooted in the health of one relationship that you and I have. And that is the relationship with our Father in heaven. You see, the greatest commandment is a two-sided coin. We read the greatest commandment earlier, Matthew 22, 37, but now we want to look through 40. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Another translation says, they hang there. Every command in the Scripture hangs on your relationship with your heavenly Father. And the second one, which is like it, because if you're right with Daddy, that's going to spill over in how you are right with everyone else. Which is our final statement. Your relationship with the root keeps you alive amongst the branches. Before we go any further in this series on the family, you need to answer a question. And that is, what is the health or the status of my relationship with Daddy? 
Now, I'm not talking about Bob, Bill, Matt, Fred, John, Steve. No, I'm talking about Yahweh. I'm talking about Jesus. Because before we go any further in this series on the family, it started with a parental child relationship and it's never left because the greatest commandment is still all about how is your relationship with that? A couple things. Some of us don't even know, probably not here in a room like this because this is church. I'm assuming you know at least a little bit about God. Some of us may not even know about a relationship with a heavenly father. We're like, well, what's that? We're like the people of Greece or Athens and stuff like that. By the way, can we just help ourselves, by the way? Because as Christian people, we get so annoyed. Brother Matt, people are crazy. I tell you, I turn on the news and they're just, they're losing their minds. They're doing all this crazy stuff. They're calling right, wrong. And they're calling all this stuff that's, you know, one way is actually the other way. It's just crazy. Friends, you want to know what's wrong? They don't have a relationship with their daddy. Because when that relationship's in order, everything else tends to fall in order. And if you don't have a relationship with daddy, that spills over into everything. Fathers signify authority and structure, all those things. When it's right with dad, it tends to go right other ways too. So if you don't believe you actually have a heavenly father, you're going to act like it. So maybe that's why the world is in such disarray. But then there's some of us that we know God. <laughs> we not only know God, we've given our life to him. We were baptized. We grew up in church. But we do not have a walking and abiding relationship with him. In fact, even me talking about our relationship with the heavenly father, we immediately go, Ooh, let's, let's just talk about a relationship with our kids. I don't want to think about how I am with God right now. Friends, well then this message for you too. And then some of us, this is just cheerleading. of like, yes, Brother Matt, this is exactly where it is. It's all about our relationship with God. This, this is it. This is it. Randy's about to sing the song, is for me and my house we will serve the Lord. Friend, before you make that commitment, you got to know Him. And if you know Him, you love Him. Before we start this series and go any further and talk about marriage and your husband, your spouse, all that, your kids, my kids, before we talk about any of that. Let's talk about this relationship with dad. Can we just take a few moments right here? Just bow your heads and close your eyes right where you are. Just inside your inner person, not out loud. I want you to say something. Whatever it is you call God, you want to call him daddy, you can. You think that's heresy. Call him your heavenly father. Whatever it is, just say, good morning, God. Good morning. Now I want you to pray this prayer to him. Daddy, whatever you want to teach me over these next eight weeks, help me to listen speak. And also, for those of you, this has been the first time you've talked to him in a long time. Tell him you're sorry that it's been so long. I'm sorry that there's been such distance between us. Please forgive me 
and do a new work in my heart at this time.